0: Hey, Startup Nation, imagine a job where you can work wherever you want, on whatever you want, from wherever you want. Hello to white sand beaches of Thailand or the comfort of your own couch. Oh, and most importantly, you're your own boss. Now, what if I told you that the dream job could become your reality? This is the life of a freelancer. And with some hard work and with the help of Hectic, it can be your life too. Hectic is an all-in-one business management software built specifically for freelancers, who are just getting started or looking to take their freelance business to the next level. Heddic is everything a freelancer needs to get started, from an easy-to-use contracts and proposals builder, to client management and project tracking, to expenses and invoicing that features click-to-play technology. That makes it quick and easy for freelancers to get paid. And we all want to get paid, Startup Nation. Built specifically for freelancers, Hectic is everything you need to get started. Visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life now to learn more and start for free. Yep, adding your first client on the platform will always be free. And if you sign up through gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life, you'll be supporting me and this podcast because who couldn't use a little support these days startup nation, visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life to find everything you need to start or grow your freelancing business today and put those in demand skills to good use in the way you've always dreamed of. The link is there in the show notes. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. Startup Nation, I don't need to tell you that when it comes to your business and your path to entrepreneurship, the customer is going to be the lifeline uh, to your success. And we have a fantastic guest uh, that can definitely talk about that and more with us today. He is... Um, the uh, co-founder of Work, Working Backwards LLC. And he was also a senior uh, executive at Amazon. Yes, the Amazon. And he's also the author, along with Bill Carr, of Working Backwards, Insight Stories and Secrets from Insight, Amazon. He is the one and only Colin Breyer. CB, how's it going, my man?
1: It's going great. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Dominic.
0: Oh, no worries. It's, it's definitely a pleasure uh, for us to have you on the show. We have so many questions, uh, but before we kind of dive into the book and, and, and why you're here, stuff like that, you know, 2020 was one for the record books. If you would just kind of share, you know, some things that you kind of learned from and took from 2020. <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's, it was quite a whirlwind. Right. Um, yeah, you know, in, in terms of, uh, actually writing the, the book,
0: right. um, I,
1: you know, I would say, Working from home already and, and, you know, the, the writing that was a lot of it was a solitary endeavor, doing a lot of reading, writing and editing and, and remote. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the day to day mechanics of that didn't change. Uh, you know, I would say the macro environment <laughs> changed me. Right. Uh, qu- uh, quite a bit more. I've, you know, have a, a, a family, two kids and, and a wife. So, you know, we did the, the on the positive side, we gotten to spend a lot more time together. Mm-hmm. We're all here at home. So. Right. Um, but, you know, I realize um, we've been uh, very, very fortunate compared to what's going on in, in, in other places. Right. So it's um, but I'm I'm glad we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel here. And hopefully, uh, you know, 2021 is, is
0: looking up for sure. For sure. And, and I th- I'm glad you said that, because I think a lot of times when we have adversity, whether it be personal or professional, I think. We often forget the part that there is light at the end of the, end of the tunnel. There is another side to uh, that adversity. So I appreciate uh, you sharing. that. And so once again, Starter Nation, we're talking to Colin Breyer, the author of Working Bath- Backwards, Sto- Insights, Stories and Secrets from Inside uh, Amazon. So before we, you know, kind of really dive into the weeds of the book, I- I'm just curious about something. You know, you wrote this book, you know, I, you were just saying that you wrote a lot of it uh, this past year. Did you find yourself while you were at Amazon appreciating what was happening and the things you were learning or was it a thing like you really appreciated after, you know, being away from it a little bit? Kind of talk about that journey a little bit, if you don't mind, Colin
1: sure so i i started at amazon in 1998 Mm -hmm. and it was uh it was a relatively small company then uh you know i started right at the beginning of 98 and amazon had just finished doing 148 million dollars in revenue in 97 right and there were about um you know 100 corporate employees and 500 ish uh Employees in the fulfillment, two fulfillment centers and customer service centers that Amazon had. So, mm-hmm. you know, to give you a, a just a feel for what the size of the company w- was then, I I knew even from the, the very first day that um, it it was I was involved with something special. Gotcha. And uh, and and you know we didn't know where it was going to go. Um, right. At, but uh, you know the the validation that we we're getting from from customers was was almost always very positive you know they they weren't shy when we did something wrong also and let us know uh where where we let them down but you know when you took a look at just new customers repeat customers customer satisfaction those were all very positive you know and what was interesting is you know what the press said about amazon changed almost on a monthly basis sometimes it was great sometimes it was awful sometimes right it's Amazon's about to go out of business. Um, you know, there's amazon.bomb, amazon.toast. <laughs> I had, uh, and those, those are actual headlines. You right. know, I had relatives and friends sometimes calling me up saying, are you okay? I, you know, I hear things that Amazon are going terrible. And, but if you took a look at the internal metrics, they were all, you know, going up into the right, like they were supposed to. And, uh, so I, from pretty early on, I knew it was something special. I think that, um, no one really could have predicted that it would become what it is today um you know there's a lot of things that had to go right there's a lot of hard work that um amazon you know put into structuring the company um but there were also some external factors that worked in in amazon's favor, favor
0: for sure for sure and you know like you said amazon had grown into this a uh, very successful company i, I live here uh, in in Memphis and, you know, where, you know, the home of FedEx and stuff like that. And even Amazon has a massive presence here, uh, in Memphis, which I I think is kind of, uh, funny. I want to ask you this though, because in the book, you talk about, uh, the Amazon and the, and the 14 principles, right? And startup nation, when you purchase the book, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you listen to the replay on the podcast, you can see these 14 principles, but one of them that kind of stuck out to me, I wanted to ask you about Colin, which was number 13 have backbone disagree and commit. Leaders are obligated to respectfully challenge decisions when they disagree in quote cuz you know we always talk about you know like you know uh, uh disagreements and you know differences of opinion but it seems like Amazon you know in a respectful way encourages these conversations kind of talk about that if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, and so um you know part of this is that there's a lot of ambiguity and and what we were doing at amazon things were changing fast so um so your first instinct is not always the the correct one right. and you know what we want what we wanted was everyone in the company to be able to weigh in, and in on an idea no matter where they were on the org chart and uh and so to have that open discussion and really in an apolitical type environments um, where it's just the idea that matters and the goal is to make the idea um, f- first and foremost and then make the right decision. That's the most important thing. You know, Even if you take a look you know, a year later, it doesn't really matter what went on in the meeting as long as you made the right decision. So Amazon wanted to um, really stack the odds in, the, in its favor of trying to make the right decision more often than not. But um, but then the the disagree and commit um, the commit part is once a decision is made, you know at, um, at Amazon we expected everyone to get on board and you know so you don't relitigate issues over and over and over again to say okay um, you know here's the path we're we're going down and um, we're going to go try this and you know as more data comes in we'll learn more and we'll we'll react but you know as of today here's here's the plan of record. And, um, you know, so it's a leadership principle, but uh, leadership principles, you have to be careful not just to make them posters on the wall. You know, some people call them core values, right. um, really f- very similar. You know, they they go by different names. But, uh, you know, a lot of companies, well, most companies have some form of principles or, or values. But I think what's un- a couple of things that are unique about Amazon is one is the sheer number. So they're 14, which is more than most. Um, but um, they're not just posters on the wall. And the, the reason why is because Amazon has woven those principles into every major process that is performed at the company. And um, one where I have Backbone disagree and commit kind of shines is with Amazon's narrative process. We're in the beginning of, of a meeting. Instead of someone standing up in front of the room and, uh, you know, virtually now, you know, in terms of the pandi- of pandemic or if you're in the office, um, you know, standing at the front of the table going over some slides, uh, the, the presenting team, because um, it's often more than one one person, uh, distributes a narrative. And it can either be, you know, physical narrative or now it's all, uh, you know, digital narratives. And what happens for those 20 minutes is that people are everyone's reading the document mm. and um you know right now they're they're adding notes in a collaborative form through Google Docs or 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 Word and they're collecting all of that and it uh, that feedback and it doesn't really matter whether you're a senior vice president or a junior product manager you can add in your comments and say have you thought about x or you know, this is something we should discuss. I, you know, maybe have a better idea. Uh, and and so this is just one way in which, you know, people are encouraged to to you know to to chime in. And everyone's doing this silently, by the way. So you know, it does you're not really gonna. You a lot of companies you defer to whatever the most senior in the person in the room, either their mood or their words, or you know, they go first. Right. And here with narratives, everyone's putting in their feedback. And, and really what happens is the idea that's presented in the, those narratives becomes first and foremost versus people's titles or people's opinions.
0: For sure. For sure. And it seems like that kind of leads into another uh, of those principles where leaders are owners, where it like, you know, you just talked about how. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you are on the org chart, you know, you have like some type of ownership into the process, into the success uh, of the company. So I appreciate you sharing that, Colin, for sure. Oh, thanks. No worries. No worries. <laughs> uh, once again, Startup Makes, we're talking to Colin Breyer, the author of Working Backwards Insights, Stories, and Secrets from Inside Amazon. But, you know, I, I want to talk about customer obsession, which is also another one of those core, those, uh, uh 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 principles if you will you know because amazon is you you can tell based on you know everything from the innovation from uh amazon prime and stuff like that 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 part is extremely important kind of talk about you know uh you know, i guess where that comes from kind of talk about you know why amazon just does it well just kind of talk about that in general if you don't mind Colin.
1: sure um you know and, and i'll i'll go back to my very first day at amazon sure. uh it was a you know there's a small handful of people who are starting that week and we were in a, a, a you know conference room a very small conference room and uh, Jeff Bezos came in and he just welcomed us and the, the the first thing he said is uh at Amazon we're you know we we want to build earth's most customer centric company and then we want to build the place where people can find and discover anything they might want to buy online right so you know from that very first time I had met Jeff um, you know, first and foremost, Amazon was all about building Earth's most customer-centric company. And um, you know, there's there's a difference between customer focus and customer obsession. And uh, you know, again, this is an area where if if you have a leadership principle of customer obsession, you need to have different types of processes, and you need to organize to where um, you know that where customer obsession becomes just the lifeblood of the company. And, uh, you know, what, one area where Amazon does this is essentially into breaking up into, uh, what we call, uh, separable single threaded teams where, uh, you know, you want the smaller, the better of the team size too. At Amazon, you don't really get points for headcount or budget. You probably get more scrutiny, if anything else, if, right. you know, with the, the, the bigger the budget or headcount that you have. Say, so, well, is, is that really the, the right amount? But, It's really single-threaded teams focused on solving very specific customer problems. And uh, Dave Dave Limp, who is the senior vice president of devices at Amazon right now, he has got a great quote where he says – the the best way to fail at inventing something is to make it someone's part time job. Mm. And and by that, um, is, you know what that means is that if something is really worthwhile doing and it's large enough to make a difference in 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 the business and and in customers' lives, it should be a team, you know, single teams, single threaded focus to to solve that problem for the customer and provide value to the customer. Too often people are they get distracted, especially if you're already running a, a big business or, or you have different product lines and you tend to focus on what's bringing in either what's bringing in the most revenue at the time right. or what's causing you the most problems. That mm. may not necessarily be the biggest opportunity. And uh, so at, at Amazon, they try to organize into uh, smaller, the better single threaded uh, teams. Gotcha. And another area where customer obsession really shines. And again, I'm trying to point out how you um, take – you can read customer obsession and you know, a lot of people nod and say, yeah, that makes sense. I'm trying to explain how Amazon puts these into, sure. into practice because right. that that's something that's you can take into your own organization, whether it's a small or large organization.
0: Extremely important, but yeah.
1: In terms of the, the customer obsession, how Amazon builds – Uh, products, they how Amazon vets new ideas and turns them into either features or products or services. Every, um, new idea that gets vetted at Amazon goes through what's called the working backwards process. Mm. It also happens to be, it's so important. So Amazonian, we, we title that that that's the title of our book. Right. But working backwards is a very specific thing that Amazon does. And, you know, at its heart, it's, it makes sure that from the, very first iteration of an idea you start with a customer perspective and then you work backwards from that right and this is different from how a lot of companies uh, decide what do i do next a lot of companies take what's called a skills forward approach where they take a look at okay what are our core competencies what are our competitors doing um how can we nudge into an adjacent market and capture you know this much market share And, you know, what are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, like Mm -hmm. some type of a SWOT analysis. But you'll notice that the word customer isn't really mentioned at all in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Amazon doesn't really, they don't do that. They say, okay, um, we're going to start from the customer experience and work backwards from that. And that allows you to do a, a couple of things. One, if it's something that's worth solving and you're not, you don't have that as a core competency yet. Well, you better, you better get that, right, <laughs> you know, acquire that somehow. And uh, a great example here is when Amazon moved into the digital space. So when Amazon was looking to move into um, digital uh, books, uh, music, and uh, movies, um, at the, that point in time, it was about 77% of Amazon's revenue was shipment of physical books. Uh, physical music, so CDs at the time, and then movies were primarily DVDs. And you know, Amazon wanted to move. You know, they they knew, and we knew at Amazon, hey, it's going to move over to digital. The timing, don't really know if it's one year, five years, or seven years. But you know, a lot of that business is going to eventually be digital, and um, someone's going to cannibalize that 77% of the business. So it better be us than than a, a you know a third party or another company. Mm-hmm. And what we realized looking into the digital space is the the value that was created in digital was in a completely different part of the the whole supply chain. In Amazon's physical uh, uh, retail business, um, the value was in aggregating a bunch of products and fulfillment centers, putting you know. Um, two or more products in a box and shipping them out, you know, cheaply and, and quickly to customers. Um, but in the digital space, the value isn't right in the middle there, um, you know, because to to come up with a complete catalog of every song uh, that's been, you know, produced or every you know movie that's that's been made, that's not. Um, a lot of companies can do that and do that relatively quickly, and you're not going to gain a competitive advantage. Um even look at today the music services that are out there have a virtually unlimited amount of 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 music. so where the value was being created is out on either side. one is where the content was created mm. and then the and then the second part was where the customer is interacting with the service and that second part is, you know where they interact with the service are apps and devices. and so we realized we're going to have to make a a device because that's where we can differentiate and really make a substantial difference in the customer experience and particularly with reading books and we hadn't built any devices at that time you know we bought (laughs) devices from the likes of samsung and sony and stored them in the warehouse and sold them but building a device wasn't something that we did and um but that if if you start from the customer and work backwards you realize that well, if we're going to be in this digital space, we need to learn how to become a a great device maker. And so Amazon started hiring the right people and building up expertise in that. And, you know, it was the three-year journey is when the Kindle eventually launched in uh, 2007, I believe. But the decision to build devices started, you know, it was a couple of years earlier. But so those are two specific examples of how customer obsession, not just customer focus, is really woven into the way Amazon operates.
0: Right. Right. Thank you for sharing. That. You brought up something in that I, I was going to get to this later, but you you know, we're kind of there now. You talked about hiring the right people uh, to do it. And you talk about in your book, this bar raiser strategy for hiring the top talent. Could you dive into that a little bit, Colin, if you don't mind?
1: Sure. Um, so the bar raiser process started um, in, in 1999. And I would say it was really the first uh, process that Amazon adopted mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, it was growing really fast and realized we need to have a formal, deliberate process here um, in order to continue to to grow, but also attract the the right types of people for for Amazon. And so it started as really a solution to a very specific problem that we had at the time. Mm-hmm. And that problem that we had was new people. We're hiring new people who are hiring new people. And so, you know, when you get to a company, uh, a lot of people, uh, what they do is they rely on their old network. They hire the people who either work with them or for them and then, you know, kind of uh, wash, rinse and repeat. Right. And we, we realized that, um, that the, the hiring, the quality bar was was quite different. And, um, you know, there's a saying at Amazon, uh, good intentions don't work. Mechanisms do mm. what would, what would happen at, um, a, a lot of companies is you would go to that hiring manager and say, Hey, um, you know, you've got to raise the quality of your hires. Um, you know, cause it was pretty obvious that, um, those people you weren't really fitting into the, into the company. And, and we had uh, let the, um, you know, the, the the bar was essentially lower than than we wanted it to be, and but Amazon didn't do that. They said, well, if we're going to grow uh, 2x, 10x, you know, over the next couple of of years, mm-hmm. we need to actually have something in place that doesn't rely on the good intentions of hiring managers. And so we created this process called the bar raiser process, and. Um, what what that uh, the bar raiser process at Amazon, it's still used today. And it was it's one of Amazon's most successful processes that's been rolled out throughout the, the, the company. Mm-hmm. Um, what the bar raiser process is all about, it's removing bias in the hiring decisions and ensuring a consistent uh, quality bar across all groups. And it has a couple of uh, different components to it. One is there's a very specific role. Um, played by someone called the bar raiser. So there's a bar raiser oh, okay. role and the process name is called the bar raiser hiring process. Interesting. And that bar raiser is one of the interviewers. Um, but he or she is not a part of the organization that's, uh, that's, that's going to make the hire. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have that urgency bias that, Oh my goodness, we've got to hire three people. We're not going to hit our revenue goal by the end of the quarter. Or we won't get our projects done that we've committed to for the year. Their sole job is to well, their main job is to make sure that the whatever person is hired in that role, it has you know met or exceeded the bar, the hiring bar at Amazon. So they don't they don't have that urgency uh, bias that a hiring manager may have. They also have um, veto power. Uh, so you know, if you, typically there are between five and seven people interviewing a candidate at Amazon. There's one bar raiser. And if the bar raiser um, decides that this candidate hasn't uh, you know, met the hiring bar at Amazon, they can actually, if they're the only one who's in a no hire and the, the rest of the hiring team says we want to hire that, they have veto power. Mm. And in effect, the veto is, is not actually, it, it's it's never really used because the other part about the bar raiser is they're meant to train and mentor and help the hiring team and the interviewers. Make the right hiring decision. So, right. you know, good or great bar raiser will will show and demonstrate. Well, this, is this candidate the really the right right fit? Um, there are a couple of other uh, things that are I, I, noteworthy or remarkable about Amazon's uh, hiring process. I wanted to point out is that each um, interviewer they have a very specific task to do in the interview process. And with Amazon's 14 leadership principles, one of those tasks is they're usually assigned two or three leadership principles. And their job is to go in and assess how the candidate um, m- maps to these leadership principles. So if I'm an interviewer, I could go and uh, I say I'm responsible for figuring out, does this candidate exhibit customer obsession, ownership, and um, yeah. I write a lot is another Amazon leadership principle. And so I I know going into the interview, I have to go get that information. And I've got behavioral questions. You know, I talk about I ask what the candidate has done in the past um, to exhibit these uh, these traits. And then I make my assessment. And then before I can talk to anyone else on the interview loop, I've got to write down my feedback and place my vote in. And this is another area where bias is really eliminated. I've been at companies where, you know, I'm let's, I'm let's say last on the interview loop and there's email or even when you hand a candidate off from one room to the next or virtually you say, oh, this person's great. Um, you know, j- just uh, I can't wait to, to the hiring meeting. Well, that just introduces bias. You know, I haven't even met the candidate yet. And I had someone say hey, this, and especially if it's my boss right. or manager, then I'm thinking, well. I, I guess this person's great and, and I don't really go in and make an honest assessment. Mm. So by having that, um, you know, uh, you have to submit your feedback. You can't actually talk to anyone. There's no cross pollination of opinions. And then in a debrief meeting after the candidate has been interviewed, everyone goes in and just like those narrative meetings I talked about, the first part of the debrief meeting is everyone sits down and reads everyone's feedback and everyone's vote. And then the bar raiser walks the group through the, um, the meeting to make the hiring decision. So when you, an interviewer by definition does not have all of a single interviewer does not have all the information to make a hiring decision, you're relying on your other team members to pull their own weight and make a complete, to get a complete picture and assessment of that, the candidate. Gotcha. So, you know, what I described is a fairly lightweight process, right, of course. It, you know, but it does, you know, it does require the interviewer to do, I think a little bit more work than, than happens at other companies. You have to have written feedback. You have to go in um, and make sure you get the information back, you know, saying, Oh, I had the lunch interview. So I didn't really get, um, yeah, it seems like a good culture fit. Unless you explain why that, that does, you know, that doesn't hold weight or the candidate. I couldn't get a word in because the candidate <laughs> kept talking, um, you know that it's your job to kind of control the interview in right. a you know, very respectful way because these are also customers of Amazon, and you want to represent Amazon well regardless of the hiring decision. But so th- that's um, a little bit about how the hiring process works and what's what's unique about it. And I think also what's powerful is that it's you know a great process is is one that you don't have to impose on other people, and and you have to audit to make sure it's followed. Mm -hmm. Once we started using this process, we realized uh, like other group, it started in one department in the software group, the product development group um, that, hey, this is going to work everywhere else. And other groups just started adopting it and we rolled it out company wide. You didn't have to force people to use it, which is a sign of a good process.
0: All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. Hey Startup Nation, I think we can all agree that 2020 was more or less a dumpster fire, right? I mean, come on, on top of surviving a worldwide pandemic, good friends and family of mine lost their jobs, had their hours cut, or went out of business altogether. Yet many of these same people are talented creatives, web developers, photographers, graphic designers, SEO specialists, and writers with solid, marketable, in-demand skills. So I've turned them onto to Hectic. Hectic is an all-in-one business management software built specifically for freelancers who are just getting started or looking to take their freelance business to the next level. Hectic is everything a freelancer needs to get started, from an easy-to-use contracts and proposal builder to client management and project tracking to expenses and invoicing that features click-to-play technology that makes it quick and easy for freelancers to get paid and we all want to get paid startup nation built specifically for freelancers hectic is everything you need to get started visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life now to learn more and start for free yep Adding your first client on the platform will always be free. And if you sign up through gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life, you'll be supporting me and this podcast because who couldn't use a little support these days, startup nation? Visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life to find everything you need to start or grow your freelancing business today and put those in demand skills to good use in the way you've always dreamed of. The link is there in the show notes. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Something you said earlier, good intentions don't work mechanisms do. I think that's definitely something to put in your entrepreneurial toolkit, startup nation. I-, I wanted to ask you about that bar raiser strategy a little bit. Let's say I don't have the, the the manpower or I'm not as big as an Amazon or something like that. I'm a small business. I got a few employees and stuff like that. Can I replicate that in a smaller version? And if so, what would that kind of look like? Because like I said, I don't have the manpower like an Amazon does. So What would that look like possibly?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, you could actually start by you get a lot of benefit just by um, one having leadership principles or core values and then knowing how you will go about uh, figuring out if a candidate exhibits those. So you don't need a big bar raiser process to do that. The second thing is, you know, just make sure that the feedback and votes, you know. Are submitted and you get some a written assessment from the interviewers before you go and and look and make a a hiring decision. Um, Because what that does, you know, when I go in an interview, um, if I know I've got to independently write down my own assessment and defend it in front of my coworkers afterwards, I'm gonna uh, go into this interview with a different mindset to say I've got to get this information cuz this is an important very important decision for the company you know who you bring on is probably one of the most important things a company can decisions a company can make so that's another thing that you can do and then the, the last is to hold those debriefs mm-hmm. i've seen a lot of companies even small companies where people interview and then they'll email their feedback or you know if it goes into some type of uh, cloud based recruiting you know, system, but then you have the HR person and the hiring manager sit down and, and make that hiring decision. What you're missing there is you're missing a feedback loop to make everyone else a better interviewer. I've, cause I've been in interview debriefs in person. And then I, I say, well, how did you get that information from the candidate? What types of questions did you ask? Mm. And, you know, and that is not just, you're not just vetting the candidate. You're, you're essentially training people to be better interviewers. Um, it, or, you know, I can say if I notice something that's, you know, where another area where another interviewer I could say, well, you know, next time think about asking this question or if you hear this answer, here's a good follow up. So you if you do that over and over, that's that, you know, the more you do it, the better it gets. Um, so those are things that you could do, at, you know, if you don't have even a, a formal uh, bar raiser training process, you know, veto power, just building some of those processes in. They work by the way for a five person group, you know, a 20 person group, what I just explained. There's there's no infrastructure heavy lifting it's just a more deliberate approach to hiring
0: gotcha gotcha almost kind of like a battleship model if you're familiar with the game battleship yeah. it's like you're yeah. trying to you know not necessarily uh this broad over group very pinpointing very precise very intentional hiring process now i could definitely yeah. appreciate that i appreciate that
1: and um, i would sure. add that just yeah. one one way that uh you know i've seen a lot of startups and small companies A year later, even if you go from, let's say, two to 20 people and then they say, yeah, it isn't what it used to be. Or if you go from, you know, five to 50 or 100, you know, the company just isn't what it used to be. A lot of times you can trace that back to the hiring process where you weren't deliberate in bringing the the people who reinforce your culture because you're going to get a culture whether you like it or not as your company grows. It's just, is it the one that you want? Um, because, you know, if you grow from, let's say five to 50 people in, you know, 18 months, that means virtually everyone has been at the, is new to the company. Right. And so they're going to make their imprint on the culture. Um, and if it's not the one you wanted, that, you know, <laughs> that's the one you're going to get. So that. just this deliberate hiring process is a way that you can retain, um, your identity as a company, especially as small organizations grow quickly.
0: For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Colin Breyer, the author of Working Backwards, Insight Stories and Secrets from Inside Amazon. And Startup Nation, if you want to purchase that book, we have a link there in the show notes if you listen to the replay on the podcast. And that book is available today. Once again, that link is there in the show notes for easy access. I want to ask you this, Colin, because... Like I said, you're a senior executive there at Amazon. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos is chief of staff, also known as Jeff Shadow. Kind of talk about, you know, Jeff as, as a leader. We kind of get an insight, uh, about, you know, how, uh, very focused uh, he is, you know, I saw the story in the book about how Amazon prime kind of came to be where it's like October. He's like, we need this. I you know. We want this, this, uh, this idea to make the, the the customer experience. And I want it done by the end of the year. And you got to go through the, the, the holiday season and stuff like that. Kind of talk about that. I guess that like that focus that Jeff has when it comes to innovating and, and building on Amazon and more.
1: Well, so that, um, you know, one of the things that we we do talk about is that you you don't need a Jeff Bezos at your company in order to do some of these things. Right. Uh, right. That and which is important because uh, he's probably not going to be working at your, right. your organization. He works at Blue Origin and Amazon and you know Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, but uh, but um, but what we're I think Jeff has done a, a, a great job is really clearly outlining you know these leadership principles what they are are there you can think of it as the decision making framework for people to to fall back on to make tough decisions when jeff's not in the room right and so um and so you know jeff constantly is reinforcing the the culture and the the leadership principles
0: got you got you and,
1: and oh, so Yeah.
0: No, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: um, And so what he does, whenever he makes a different, uh, you know, a a decision, he, he look he explains, okay, well, here's, here's why this is something that I want to do, or, you know, why this is important. And, you know, uses it as, is essentially a training opportunity for, for whoever else is, is in the room. So where Jeff, I think has done a, a great job is he's actually scaled the you know the the company to to make these consistent decisions as amazon has really proliferate proliferated into a number of different types of businesses and, and geographies and that's a bit you know unusual for for, for companies but it really is you know you're like if you go to an amazon weekly business review right um in japan in the U.S., uh, you, I mean, you'll know that oh, this is an Amazon Business review because here are the things that that we look at. Here's the you know the, here are the customer metrics that that are important, and you know it, the imprint of those leadership principles show up through through and through in those things. So I, that is one thing. Um, you know, Jeff also has very high standards, um, right, right, and you know expects a lot out of people. And you know, part of having high standards is one—you have to show people where the where the bar is or where the standard is, and then you know you can celebrate when it's it's exceeded, and and you do that. But also when it's not met, you know, a lot of people think, well, it's it's easiest just to, you know, this, it, we didn't meet our standards, but I'm busy. Let's just move on, and maybe we'll get better next time. But if when you do something like that, what that leader is doing is they're actually signaling to the rest of the group that the standard is actually lower than you thought. Mm. So they're lowering the standard. So, you know, Jeff, you said insist on on the highest standards is, is a leadership principle. And leaders are um, you know obligated to to point out where the bar is and then also you know, help people when, when it hasn't been that to show that, show that, and then, you know, help, what do we need to do differently in order to meet our standards next time?
0: For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Colin, let me ask okay. you this, you know, before we kind of transition here, you know, I, I know you wasn't there from like the very beginning, but you were there pretty much in the early days of Amazon and Amazon has become like this, you know, one of the you know best American companies, you know, in business history. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, do you ever just sit back and think about like how, you know, your legacy is kind of interwoven into helping to build that, you know, that venture that that is Amazon? You ever sit back and just think about like, wow, man, we really did something great there?
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I and it's more uh the we as the Of course. <laughs> important part. Yeah, I mean, and so I you know, I I as as I was writing this book with with bill you Mm -hmm. know there were a couple of projects and initiatives that i was involved in that i was particularly proud of but as we wrote this book i realized there was something that's probably even more enduring and and more lasting which is the process and you know essentially the management science that amazon has created on how to build and, and run and operate organizations, small and large. And, you know, that's not something that really gets talked about too much. And that's one of the reasons that we wrote this book is because we, we always get asked, Bill and I do, well, how does Amazon do this? Or, you know, why, like, how does, you know, what, what is it like at Amazon and and how do they do these things, Mm -hmm. you know, consistently across a number of different areas and really, this the whole approach that Amazon has developed, which is essentially it's the the fourteen leadership principles, and then there are really five processes about how Amazon hires, how they organize, how they communicate with written narratives, how they develop new ideas, um, right. starting from the customer working backwards, and then how they measure things, you know, by looking at the the customer focused controllable input metrics versus spending you know the bulk of the attention on output metrics shiny metrics like revenue and profit so those five processes plus the leadership principles amazon put a lot of work into developing those and they're not really talked about yet and i you know so that's why we wrote the book and it's something that you know um, I'm particularly proud to have played a small part in helping shape and develop and, and um, refine some of those things. And refine, by the way, is another way of saying it is we stumbled along the way. We made some mistakes and we improved it. But, um, but um, you know, so I think that is probably when I look back on, you know, what is the, the legacy that Amazon has, has created? Sure, they're great household names that people use. Right. But I think how to build and operate companies is something that will also be as or even more enduring than some of these these uh, products.
0: No, for sure. You're you're absolutely right. You know, when I was reading the book, I was kind of thinking like, man, I, I think a lot of, you know, uh, uh, MBA curriculums, business class curriculums can really be rewritten uh, in part due to uh, the systems and the process that you were talking about there at Amazon. So I appreciate you uh, kind of sharing that for sure, Colin.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks. And we're excited to, to chat about it, too. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. And, and, it, and, and it also, you know, now it's part of my DNA. So, you know, any companies that I work with uh, or, you know, is it's something that, you know, Bill and I, we, we both bring to the table. And, and uh, you know, the reception is it's been received pretty well so far, you know, across a, a number of different industries.
0: No, absolutely. And, and that actually brings me to the next part uh, of, of our conversation that I want to ask you about. You know, you and Bill uh, co-founded, you know, Working Backwards LLC that talks about that that science and, and that art, if you will, of building a company and stuff like that. I, I want to ask you, when you're coaching up these startups and executives uh, in their different uh, ventures and stuff like that, I mean, there's one thing of having the knowledge and what you build at Amazon, but it's a whole other thing to, you know, actually teach that that to uh you know uh, a client or something like that kind of walk me through that process of how you kind of get them you know to kind of see or even incentivize like look you know just besides the fact of like yeah we were at Amazon but like no this actually works no matter if it's Amazon no matter if it's uh uh Joe's you know uh, burger shack you know what I mean like kind of talk about that coaching process if you don't mind Colin
1: Sure. Uh, you know, First of all, I, I want to point out that there are multiple ways to build great companies. Of course. So of course. we're not um, claiming that this is the only way to build a great company. Right. So just, you know, step one is that just educate people on you know, these processes and principles that Amazon has developed. And if that's something that people want to learn more about or think that it can help their organization – that's the first step. If if they say, no, I've, I've got the, we've got our own hiring process and we're, we're fine. It's great. You know, ha- have at it. I, you know, I, I think that, um, a lot of companies, uh, e- either they don't have a processor or they're trying to mix and match things mm. that, that, you know, don't fit together. Right. You know, I would say the most important thing is to, have conviction and have a process on how I want to build and operate the, the, you know, our, whatever the organization is small or, or large, um, you know, pick, pick, pick something. Right. <laughs> and if you don't have anything, you know, I think working backwards is a good place to start. Um, and second is that, uh, you know, a lot of these processes were, were, were created to address specific issues. So uh, at, that Amazon was facing as it was growing and 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 scaling, right. and, and these issues are the same issues that every growing company faces. I think Amazon created its own spin and on it and its own unique processes, but but when you look at well, why is it constructed that way? You go back and 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 look at the, the leadership principles, and you understand that link. So you know, Jeff, this was in 2018. He really said, you know, Amazon is really, uh, or the culture is really four things. It's customer obsession. Um, it's long-term focus, you know, willing to think long, long-term longer than most, uh, you know, spirit of invention, which means you want to, you also have to accept failure. If you, if you want to be, have that inventive spirit and then, you know, pride in operational excellence.
0: Right. So, uh,
1: where that shines through is that most of the work that teams do customers don't notice, you know, when you, when you, uh, go on Amazon and, and it, you look at a product page and it says, you know, click, uh, with it now, or, you know, within the next, um, six hours and 42 minutes and you'll get this product, uh, to, you know, tomorrow by 8am, uh, there's a lot of work that has to go on and you have to be operationally crisp, uh, sure. you know, especially if you have 100 million items spread across you know hundreds of fulfillment centers to pick out which fulfillment center you're going to use as the item on the shelf that you think it's going to be when either a person or a robot goes to, to pick that. Mm-hmm. A lot of that work is under the tip of the iceberg that customers never see. And then, you know, you whatever they, um, you're doing in your own organization, that's probably going to be true also. So you want the teams themselves to really have pride in what they do, regardless of who, who, who sees it, you know, if that right. work is visible outside of their team. For so sure. if you want that type of a, a company and, uh, you know, with those four cultural pillars, that's something that um, would be, uh, you know, I think that this – whole approach fits in and the last uh, short thing i would say is that you really need buy-in from the you know the the leaders of the organization you know if it's could be the ceo of the whole company or um you know if if you're in a group that wants to try working narratives you need buy-in to go try it like this it won't work to say let's do narratives but we're just but after this, we'll we'll go do a PowerPoint when we go present to you know person X in the group. Or we're gonna adopt the bar raiser process, but half of the team doesn't write their feedback. Right. Um, they just come in and, and chat during the the, the debrief. Um, you know, you, you need buy-in to, to get this thing to work. For we sure. look at companies. We're you know, uh, we typically do not try to convince them that hey, you should really be doing these. We try to educate them. Here's what these Processes and principles are. Here's where they work well. Um, you, we've seen them work well. Is this something that you're interested in doing? And if the answer is no, i then you know it's just Bill and I. So you know that that's. It. Good, you know, good,
0: good, good luck, and I'm glad you have something that you think works for you. For sure, for sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And that's going to wrap up our session uh, with uh, Colin Breyer, once again, the author of Working Backwards: Inside Stories and Secrets from Inside Amazon. Once again, if you want to purchase that book, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. Colin, thank you so much, my man. I really appreciate your time today and your book.
1: All right. Thanks again for having
0: me. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Play.